0: If you have been watching the news lately, you've probably seen that uh, in the south, there's other continents, in the other half of the world, uh, fires are burning like crazy. Um, I was just uh, reading yesterday that about a million animals have perished in these fires. If you've been watching the news, you've also seen that there's been an earthquake in the Caribbean. The city of Puerto Rico was hit by an earthquake and unfortunately their constructions were not as prepared as they ought to be and uh, they're struggling. And if you've been paying attention to the news lately, you know that every day somewhere there's someone shooting someone else. There is no doubt that we live in a broken world. But if you turn on the news... If you happen to dare and master enough courage to turn on the news, you will hear people that instead of giving news, they share their hate towards people that are not like them. You hear pundits defending party lines, but not really telling you what the reality is. Regardless of one side of the aisle you are, there is someone who is not like you. Unfortunately, that trickles to all areas of society. If you open your social media, you'll see that there's people who speak about their point of view and hate anyone else who does not think like them. There is no doubt that we live in a broken world. Now, as Christians today, How can we live the Christian life in a world like ours? I'd like to share with you a few principles that the Bible teaches. And that we as Christians ought to understand in order. So that today we can learn to love like Jesus. So the first principle that I like to share with you family is that God created every individual with dignity. God created every individual with dignity. You see, when you go to the dictionary and you search for the word dignity, you discover that dignity is a synonym of honor, of worth, of respect. And you see, oftentimes uh, we we think that those things need to be earned. But in reality, they are God-given. Look at uh, Psalms 8 verse 5. It's right there in your notes. Notice what it says. Yet you made them only a little lower, talking about humanity. Yet you make them a little lower than God and crown them with glory and honor. And if you remember the creation story on the sixth day when God created Adam. He made him in his image and in his... Okay, you're awake this morning. And in his likeness. So see, God made us to look like him. So we are inherently designed with dignity. Dignity is a God-given thing. Now Peter in the book of Acts went through an experience that was really, really interesting. and, And perhaps for most of us should be similar. Because see, Peter was a Jewish man. And according to tradition, Jewish men and Gentiles or non-Jewish were not to share things together, were not to have meals together, were not to go visit each other's house. It, It was a cultural thing. But God showed Peter a dream. And in this dream, Peter sees a piece of cloth big enough to hold animals. And he hears a voice that tells him, Peter, go kill and eat. But Peter, being a a good Jewish man, saw the animals that were in in that cloth, and he said, Well, God, you know, I never eaten anything impure because those animals were not the kind of animals that were kosher to eat. But God showed Peter that it wasn't about the animals, that that dream was not about his diet. That dream was about the people that he and all the Jews in his time considered not to be worthy. So he gives them directions. He gives Peter a direction to go to the house of a man who was a Roman man. And not just a Roman, but he was a centurion. He was a soldier for the Roman army. And if you were a Jew at that time going to the house of a Roman centurion... It was not about to happen. But Peter goes and he knocks at the door. And to his surprise, when he knocks on the door, when they open the door, they see Peter and they tell him, we were expecting you. And this is what happens. Acts 10, verse 28, Write that in your notes. Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter... A Gentile home like this, or to associate with you. Up to that point, Peter was being culturally correct, but then he continues. But God, you see, every time that we hear an explanation and then followed by, but God, we know that the paradigm is going to shift. You know that there's something that is going to change. We know that the the pattern as it was established will no longer hold. And this is what happens. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. Now this is very interesting, family. And this is my geek moment of the day. This I no longer think in the Greek is the word metanoia. Can you say it? Metanoia and that means a change of thinking. So, what is happening to Peter is that through that vision and in his experience with Cornelius, this Roman centurion, Peter experienced a metanoia. That means that for all of us to understand that everyone is inherently possessing dignity we need to have a metanoia we need to have a change in the way we think we need to see things from a different perspective and that perspective is that every single individual who's lived and lives on this planet was created by God and is worthy to be redeemed by God when we understand that then we'll have a metanoia But this problem is not new. You see, in the garden, when the serpent deceived Eve, the serpent was telling Eve that she was not what she was supposed to be. That she was missing something. That she did not look the way she she was supposed to look. that that, that that, That she was needing, that she was lacking something. But in reality... She was a perfect creature made in the image and likeness of God. But she believed that lie. And she took from the fruit. And today, there's thousands and millions of people who think they are lacking something. That they're missing something. That they're not worthy. They look in the mirror and they hate what they see. And they take pictures thinking, oh, if I would only look like this, maybe if I let society know that I look like this. And that is living a lie. Because you know that behind that picture, there is something missing in the heart. And that is that perhaps our metanoia is not about other people, but it's understanding that I am worthy. That God paid a price for me. So the first principle is that God creates everyone. How many? Everyone Everyone with dignity. Peter writes this in his first epistle. In verse uh, verse 17, chapter 2. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. So dignity and love come together. And what's quite interesting, and it's not there in your notes, but if you open your Bible, you see that the second part of that text, it says, even respect the king. Yes, the king. Now, if you're thinking, well, no, these days, Peter didn't know what we're going through. Let me tell you something. The king in those days, who was Caesar, was Nero. Persecutor of the Christians, a hater. Yet Peter writes respect even the king, because everyone is made, is created with dignity. The second principle, family, that I want to share with you is the principle of diversity. God intentionally created everyone unique. Everyone unique. The thing about this is that if you have a problem with diversity, you have a problem with God. Because he made diversity. Now, let me tell you what he he reads in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Then God gives it. The new body he wants it to have. A different, okay, that's the first time. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different, second time, kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another one for fish. There are also bodies in heaven, bodies on the earth. The glory of the heaven, heavenly bodies is different, number three, from the glory of the earthly bodies. See, in three realms. God speaks of different things. Plants. Can you imagine looking outside and all the plants, all the trees looking the same? You know, it, it's a beautiful thing. Um, when, when you travel to other parts of the world, you see birds different. Even when they're the same kind you have at home. You see here, when you see those black birds flying around, how do you call those birds? Birds crows right we have those crows here around here and they're all black totally black but when you go to the middle east their the head and their and their tail are black but the middle is gray they're crows but they're different because even within the same same species god made diversity see And that's an awesome thing because when you look around this church, see, people ask me oftentimes when when I go speak other places and I meet other pastors and and they ask me, are you happy in your new church? Although I've been here for three years. But are you happy in your new church? In fact, I never felt that I was new. I don't know. I always felt like I I was part of it already. So people ask me, what do you like about your new church? And I say, you know, what I like about it the most is that we're so diverse. That there's not a dominant group we're so unique in that sense that to me it is an image of what heaven is going to be like so if there is an announce in you of prejudice prejudice you're not going to make it to heaven because in heaven Your house is going to be right next to someone who you don't like. So you're not going to be ready for heaven. You see, God made diversity and he made diversity so that we learn. See, oftentimes we hear, oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. But that's wrong. Because God wants you to see color. What God wants you to be is not colorblind, it's color blessed. Because he wants you to be blessed by the diversity that is around you. By the differences around you. See, God wants you to experience his diversity in everything. In everything. You see, in Acts 17 verse 26 says, From one man he created all the nations. How many? All the nations. Through the whole earth he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. And he determined their boundaries. So God made all the nations with different sizes. Different cultures, different experiences and languages. Even though that was a consequence of sin. And one day we'll get into the Babel story and all that. But all the diversity that God has allowed to, for us to experience on this planet, it was designed and planned by Him. So that we could be blessed through all the diversity. I can imagine myself eating Mexican food every day. Or Italian food. Or Chinese food. Or you name it. Whatever you like to eat. Every day, I, I, I could not. I could not. I like diversity. In fact, uh, uh, my mom has this thing that every time I, I go see her, she asks me, what do you want to eat? And she offers me a bunch of things because I don't have one favorite thing. I don't. Maybe that's why I'm such a pain for Paola because I don't have a favorite thing. In fact I eat one thing that I like and if I eat it twice I get tired of it. Because I like diversity. I like diversity. Especially in my meals. But see what happens is that in heaven, in heaven, the first sin that occurred was pride. And pride is the essence Of saying, I am right, everybody else is wrong. I'm the only one that is beautiful, everybody else is ugly. But there's only one standard. There's only one remedy. There's only one fix against pride. And that is community. Because the reality is that God made us To live in community because we are better together. When you learn to live in community, pride goes out the door. Because every time that you put something pride, let me say that again. Every time that you say something pride, it's sinful. Any... Noun that you put in front or an adjective, and then you say pride, pride is sinful because pride is a sinful trait. God wants us to be in community. Ephesians 3 4 says, As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations. So what he's saying here is that God had a secret master plan. He did not reveal it to everyone. God was waiting for a moment to make that plan known. To reveal this secret master plan. And it says, but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Now Paul is going to tell us, that secret plan that God had, that master secret, top secret, you know, yellow envelope stamp plan that God has. Now this is it. Pay attention. Both Gentiles and Jews. Now let me explain this to you. Peter is is writing to the church of the first century. And according to the Jewish mentality, there were only two groups. Either you were Jew, or non-Jew. Either you were Jew, or Gentile. So let me ask a question, how many of you are Jews? Okay, we have one and a half, and one that has a crisis of identity. (laughs) That means, that means everyone else is a Gentile. So this plan is for everyone. Gentiles and Jews, are you with me? Who believe the good news Share equally, share equally for Gentiles and Jews. Not one is better than the other. Equally. In the riches inherited by God's children. Both, it says, both are part of the same body. And both enjoy the promises of blessings because, this is the reason why. Because they belong to Jesus Christ. So what puts it all together, the glue that holds a community of diversity that God made is Jesus. The reason why we have so many groups and so many ideologies is because Christ is not there. It's because Jesus is not there. In fact, the author of Hebrews puts it even in a better way. Chapter 2, verse 11 of Hebrews. So now Jesus... So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. This is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So if you believe that Jesus is your savior, if you believe that Jesus is the glue that holds communities together, then you are part of the family of God. Because from the beginning, God had designed for humanity to live as a family with him. It was sin that destroyed that family unit. It was sin that destroyed the unity in the family. And it is sin that continues to destroy families. And continues to put the seed of discord and pride in the families of the world. But it's Jesus, the one, the remedy... To bring us back together, Jesus in reality is is the fix for a broken world. But see, our problem is that we choose to have identities with things that don't really matter. Some of you might say, Well, I'm American. But you know what, United States would not last through eternity. Some of you might say, I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican. But you know what, those parties would not last through eternity. Of some, some of you might say, I, I, I'm a Dodger fan or, or I'm a Kings fan. But you know what, neither baseball nor hockey will last through eternity. And unfortunately, we fight about things that won't last. Even in church, we fight about things that don't last. I've heard of churches that got split because of the color of the carpet. I've heard of churches that are split because of their music. Now, let me say something about that. I believe in diversity, and I love the way we do it, that we sing hymns, we sing songs that are not hymns, I, I like that, I love it. I, we play with organ, we play with piano, we play with guitar, we play with the orchestra. I, I love that, I love diversity. See, one time, and this, this is not my story, this is in the, in the book, volume one of Testimonies for the Church, page 114, so if you can check this out later. Sister you have you heard of her? She was Sabbath morning in the Dime Tabernacle in Battle Creek worshiping, just like we are right now. So she's sitting there in the congregation and she's, she's listening to the choir of the Dime Tabernacle singing. And you can imagine the level, the quality, the, 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 the expression, the, the beautiful music that was being sang there, right? But at that moment, that angel that usually accompanied her in vision took her to a vision in heaven. And guess what's happening in heaven? The heavenly choir is singing. And she's singing, they're singing there, and she's singing with the angels, and he, she hears the, the music, and she's so enthusiastic about that experience of singing with the angels, and as she's singing with the angels, the angel tells her, you know what, it's time to go back down. And she's like, no, this is awesome, I don't want to go back. She says, no, 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 there's work that you need to be done. So she's taken back down to earth, and again, she comes back, and the choir and the Dime Tabernacle is singing. This is what she says. When I hear, when I, when I heard the choir the damn tabernacle singing compared to the heavenly choir it was just noise compared to the heavenly music there's not one style that we can do here of music there's not one style of worship that we can do here on earth there's not one thing that we can do here that can be as close to what we're going to experience in heaven because things that we have haven't heard, things that we haven't seen, things that we haven't even thought about will be in heaven because we as imperfect beings cannot replicate what will happen in heaven. So when we fight about things that we cannot control, things that we cannot do because they're not like they will be when we'll be there signifies that we sigh, that we identify ourselves with things that are limited by time. What we need to focus on is to identify ourselves with things that are eternal, with things that will transcend this world. That is why we need to remember that love is the only thing that will transcend this earth. And if there's anything that we need to understand, family, is that love is the reason why we are put on this earth. We were put on this earth to learn how to love. You see, it would have been, would have been a easy for God if he had made us and then, okay, I just made you. You're brand new. Before you mess up, I'm going to take you to heaven. But no, he didn't do that. Because God wanted us to experience, to learn, to assimilate the reality of a God that wants to love people and wants people to love him through experience and to, through a freedom of choice. John 13, 34 says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now, I ask myself, why in the world? Why in the world would that have to be a commandment? Why? Because see, after witnessing the birth of my three children, I know that even though I didn't know them before they were born, once I had them in my arms, I loved them. I love them. But see, it's not difficult. Let me rephrase that. It's not as difficult to love those who look like us. What's difficult is to love those who don't. And that is exactly what we need to learn. That we were put on this earth to learn how to love Everyone. Everyone. And he continues saying, love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Verse 35, you love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And and I tell you, I I told you last week uh, when we were talking about this, that, that love is the greatest currency in the universe. Because it's the only thing that can pay for your salvation. It's through love that Jesus came to die for us. And as love, as important as it is, oftentimes we we act as Christians in the wrong way. You see, we do things oftentimes to feel love or to hope that we love. But see, that's the wrong approach, and we'll get tired and we get frustrated, and and all bad things happen. But when we learn to love, we'll do all the other things out of love. And then you never get tired. Have you ever seen a mother getting tired of taking care of their children? (laughs) At least you were awake. Well, nobody loves me like my mother. And I'll tell you that. I'm almost 50 and my mom is still, are you okay? Because the love of my mother never ends. And and tell me if I'm lying, but I've seen mothers with several children, but it's the one that's in trouble. It's the one that is not doing as well. It's the one that... Needs a little bit of help. The one they they're concerned the most. It's the one that most of the prayers are filled with. Because the love of my mother never ends. And God is saying, you know, I put you on earth to learn to love like I love you. My love, it's not like the love of a mother. It's like that. But multiply by infinity. Because I loved you even before you were conceived. I loved you even before you were born. I loved you even before I founded this world. I knew that I was going to make you to love you. So I want you to love just the same way that I love you. And now we're thinking like, whoa, I I can never love like that. But let me tell you, it's saying... That when you love that way, when you do things for God out of love, all the other things that we think about that are a burden become easy. You see, one of the, one of the greatest examples of burdens in, 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 in religion that we make mixed up are the commandments. Because see, oftentimes, and I grew up like this because I was in, in, in that culture. That you have to keep the commandments. Did anybody hear that? Don't lie, you did. Because all of us did. It was that culture. You have to keep the commandments. But it's not like that at all. We don't have to keep the commandments. It's a choice. But guess what? If I keep the commandments, I I have two ways to do it. One is that, well, I want to keep the commandments to get something back. Do you want to go to heaven? Keep the commandments. Well, I want to go to heaven. I'm going to keep the commandments because I want to go to heaven. That gets tired real quick. Gets tired real quick. Becomes a burden. But see, the commandments were not made to be a burden. They were made for us to be a wall of protection. Why? Because God loves us. And he wants us to be protected. And and, and probably you heard me say this before. The commandments are a fence that has 10 posts. What, what keeps that fence together? The post. You remove a post, it falls. It happens in every fence. My neighbor just uh, living across the street, uh, last couple of weeks with the winds, the tree fell and fell on, the, on his fence, and now his fence told. <laughs> it hit a post. So when you take down a post, the fence falls. So God says, you see, when you experience a relationship with me, the first thing you're going to look for, the first thing you're going to desire, the first thing you will want is to be with me. So what you will want to do is to be the closest you can to me without anything to be in between. Remember when you were... Dating back in the day when you have to call your loved one on the phone. Let me say that again. When you have to call your loved one on the phone. But they were not wireless. And you had a long cord. I had one of those. It, my, mine was a long that took from the living room all the way to under the, the, the door into my room. And when I was talking to my girl... We would get to a point that hang up. No, you first. <laughs> no, you. No, you. Okay, both together. I'm still here. Me too. Why? Because you did not want to get separated. You didn't want anything in between. You wanted to be connected. And the same thing happens. When you love God, you want to be connected. You don't want anything to get in between. So the first thing you want is to be within that protection of love. But this is what happens. If I choose to disregard one of the commandments, one of those posts, that whole defense, falls down. So now the enemy, the devil, has access to get into that relationship of love. And once one post is down, it's a lot easier for the second to cumber to. So God wants us to learn to live with, the, with him in a relationship of love. And because I love him, I would not want to get anything in between us. And that's why I will keep his commandments. Because I know that he gave those commandments, according to the book of Deuteronomy, so that we can live good lives and nothing bad would happen to us. Hebrews 13 says, Now once you experience that love, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Because family, if there's anything you need to remember out of this message today, is that love is the most important thing for God. And there's one theological reason why. Because love is a character of God. Love is a character of God. So there's nothing more important for God. Because see, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us, it's going to be our AARP card. No, it's not. (laughs) Well, the only thing we're going to take to heaven is our character. But it's not that ugly, sour, angry character that you have today. It's a character that has been transformed by the love of God because now what God sees is not you all messed up, but he sees himself in you. And it's his character of love the only thing we're going to take to heaven when we live a life of love in relationship with God. So how to love? How to love? How can we love? Let me give you four L's. For those of you who are taking notes, let me give you four L's for love. First, learn to listen. Learn to listen. Listen. I know some of you are like, oh, really? Have you heard her talk? Yes. Listen. 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 Second L, while you listen, while you're learning to listen, look. Look at them. You know, oftentimes my boys, when I'm talking to them, they have their headphones on. And when I'm saying something, they're like, "Uh uh-huh, no, 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 look at me. Look at me. Because I want you to listen and I want you to look. Because see, it's amazing. When you look at someone as they're talking, there is a connection. Try it on your work. It, it's amazing. When you stop what you're doing and you look at the person talking to you, the mood changes. The conversation changes. So we need to, as we share love, we need to learn to listen, to look, and also we need to learn, learn, learn about that person. Why is she why is she why is he telling me that? Why is go, what is going on? What is happening? Because nothing says I love you, then I care for what is going on with you. Nothing. You know, my greatest pieces of advice as a pastor have been when I've been quiet. Because when I listen to the person talking and sharing whatever they have in their heart, at times I've been quiet because I just really don't know what to say. Not because I was intentionally doing it. But I learned that when I listen until they stop talking, oftentimes they say, You know, Pastor, thank you. That was exactly what I needed. I'm like, I'm awesome. That's great. You know? But in reality, all I was doing is learning what was going on with them, listening, looking at them. And the fourth L family is that we have to learn how to laugh. See, They should not be there. Actually, in reality, if a Christian does not know how to laugh, it's not a real Christian. Oh, yeah. God has a sense of humor. He does. And it's in the Bible. You know, I remember talking about my mom, right? Today it's about my mom. Um, When I began to be a pastor, she heard me preach before. And you see, the way I am now is the way I've always been. So she heard me preach, and and I, for some reason, made people laugh. And she's like, son, now that you're a pastor, you have to be serious. You know, you can't do that. And I'm thinking, you know, I I didn't say anything. She's my mom. I love her. But I, I couldn't say this to her, but I thought it right inside of me. This is how I am. This is who I am. If I cannot be who I am or what I am, then I would be a fake because I would pretend to be someone who I'm not. And I discovered something real interesting. That when we laugh with someone, there is a level of relationship that can only be accomplished by laugh. That's the reality. I don't say that, that's psychology. It's, it's human behavior. So when we love in this time, we need to learn to listen. We need to learn to look at the person. We need to learn to, we need to, learn, to learn about them. And we need to learn to laugh. Especially about ourselves. Don't pretend. Accept who you are. That's dignity. And I want to leave you with this. The last principle. And that's reconciliation. Reconciliation. Let me read this with you. Because as a church, if we are not helping people reconcile today, we are not really the church. If we are not helping people reconcile today, we are not the church of Jesus. Let me share a text with you. Second Corinthians 5.18. And all of this, how much? And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself, to Christ. You know how we call that? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. The thing that the gospel does, the thing that the gospel does is reconcile sinners to a perfect and loving God. The gospel is a key to reunite what sin and the devil has set apart. The gospel is the opportunity, is a door through which all people who are broken can be mended and restored. And that is what the gospel is. It's reconciliation, it's restoration, it's unifying. It's putting back together. And he says, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So if we are really the church that God wants on this earth, our primary task, it's got to be to bring people from brokenness to wholeness in Jesus Christ. And it's not because we have the ability. It's not because we have the power. It's not because we are perfect. It's because we have been broken and we haven't experienced the reconciliation through Jesus Christ. It's because in the middle of our brokenness and lacking, God gave us what we needed. And we can come together in the name of Jesus. It's because when our relationships were broken and our hearts were broken, Jesus put them together with his arms of love and the power of the gospel. That is why. If today we want to be truly the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be the channels through which people can come to the only one that can fix this broken world. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is what Jesus has done and he can do to us today.